0: All right, well, this morning, oh, God is, it has on my heart as I want to speak about what it means to be quickened, and it's an old English word, right? So when they translated uh, the King James, you know, they, they they translated a word that back in 1611 meant uh, something, and uh, but I, I want to share on that word uh, to be the first, the first place, and I'm going to get into it in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and I'll just read one verse. There's there's a few verses there uh, where it has that word in the original uh, Aramaic and Hebrew. But I'll share this. This is one verse, and I believe this is the first place that it's mentioned. Here, And it's in Psalm 71, uh, verse 20. 7120. So 7120 says this <clears throat> you have showed me great and sore troubles. That sounded familiar. <laughs> right? So for us in Christ, when he shows us great and sore troubles, in, in one sense, we can see what it says in Job 23, verse 16. It says, The Almighty troubles me. Okay, he's not the cause of the trouble but he certainly will use it, won't he? You have showed me great and sore troubles. Okay? You, which has shown me great and sore troubles, will quicken me again. Isn't that awesome? So we know that God allows those troubles in our life, right, that aren't from him, but that he'll use, so he can bring us to a place where he can quicken us. So, quicken me what? Again. How many times do we have to be quickened again and again and again? How many times? And of course, in Ephesians 4, verse 23, that's what it means when it's saying to continually be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We're continually being renewed. In other words, he's continually reminding us who he's made us to be in our own individuality, in the son of his love. And that's a great position and in re, in reality that he wants to bring in to our experience. So you'll quicken me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Right? Verse 21 says, you'll, you will increase my greatness. Isn't that awesome? Now, we, for us as the church, this, these things he's speaking, of course, in the original and to the types he's speaking to the nation of Israel. But for us in Christ... That's what Jesus was teaching in John 3, verse 30. He must increase, and that's an emphatic, okay? That's an emphatic truth. So in John 3, 30, he must increase, but I must what? Decrease. So what is he separating from the great increase that we are? What's not of him that needs to be decreased? And so he says again, "You will increase my greatness and comfort me on every side." And I love that because when I look at First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, it says that, that we as believers in our own individuality before Christ and as a corporate, functioning local assembly, In a specific area, we are to be good stewards, it says in 1 Peter 4.10. Be good stewards of the manifold. Manifold there is poikilos, and it means the many-sided, many-faceted truths of grace. So be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, he's given it to us on every side. What does that mean? Every single thing that I face, I don't care what it is, on every single side, there's grace. There's absolute grace. And boy, do we, do we need grace to get away from the decrease? Whew. It's continual. And no wonder it, only his love that's <laughs> unconditional can only flow through grace, which is something we don't deserve but has to do with him who can't fail and won't fail us. So he comforts us on every side. So that word quicken, is many different scriptures. For instance, again, we see that in Psalm 71, verse 20. Uh, we can see it again in Psalm uh, 80, uh, verse 18. Uh, we can see that again. The psalmist is crying it out. There's how many times I've cried this out in my own life? In Psalm one, nineteen, twenty-five, 25. My soul my self-conscious capacity, how I know myself is cleaving to the dust, my physical body and all those passions and all those things that attach themselves with addictions to how I should know myself apart from him. So he says, my soul is cleaving to the dust and then it says, quicken me according to your word. I love the fact that, that what Paul said As he taught those, he was teaching the church at Ephesus in in Greece. He was teaching them in Acts, the 20th chapter. He taught them every day, day and night. He he just made it available every single day, day and night. And he taught them for three straight years. And he was teaching them the Ephesians truth, Ephesus truth, which is the, the epistle of Ephesians. He was teaching them that. And he would do it day and night. And there were times when he said in Acts 20, verse 19, and in Acts 20, verse 31, he taught them in tears. And those tears were what he had in his own life, in the identification of what grace had done in his own life, and in tears for those that that God would have him through his son, to so deeply love. He was identifying with them. He wasn't above them. He wasn't below him. He was equal with him in this identification, in this proper image, because of everything that he would go through. And as a result of that, he said in, in um, Acts 20, verse uh, 28 and 29, he said, There's going to be, after I come, because if you read Galatians, you read, you read the, the epistle of Galatians. Um, When you understand that, Paul would go into an area and teach people truth. Now to do that, to teach them who they were in Christ, he had to teach the decrease that they were not. But there had to be the sword that would cut that in Hebrews 4.12. And he would go in and teach them, but waiting... Satan had his crew waiting for Paul to leave. Just like when we leave the truth about who we are in Christ experientially, enemy has all these lies and these uh, confusing thoughts, these random thoughts that come in. But where Paul, when he would leave a specific area, okay, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes, under the prince and power of the air, uh, Satan, they would come in and reteach the people. That's Galatians. Uh, they, they would come in and reteach them, and that's why he said they're going to be men. They're going to be men, and they would even be Christians that would be raised up in yourself. That's what he was saying. And what we can see, and we can see that here. I'll just read these uh, scriptures uh, so that we can see them and and, and see them in the light. Well, you know, and I love it when we see things in the light. What are we seeing? We're seeing who we are in Christ in our proper image. And that's what we're constantly being renewed and quickened to. So in Acts 20, uh, 24, this is what Paul said, but none of these things move me. How many things can move us? How many things can cause us to forget? You know, to forget God. And when we do... When we forget God and we can through familiarity, we'll forget who we are, we'll be familiar with ourselves and then familiar with others. But this is what Paul said, but none of these things move me. Oh, how the enemy would do so much to try and move him from the place where God had placed him to do what what Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would do through him towards those sheep that were Christ, that he so deeply loved, that Christ loved in Paul. And he said this, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life, what? Dear unto what? Myself. Wow, selfish living. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord. You see, you don't go to a ministry You have one. (laughs) Okay? The ministry which I have received, and if he received it, how did he receive it? It was through pure grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, it certainly was. I have received of, so what he received was of the very nature and character and essence of who Christ is, just like us. I've received of the Lord to testify as a witness, with a testimony, the gospel of what? The grace of, of God and now behold I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all I'm pure because I, I functioned in what Christ had me to do unto his grace unto his headship unto his the authority of his love Someone sent me this, and deep someone that I love, and they sent me um, how much they love me and how much they pray for me every single day. And they sent me Hebrews thirteen seven, and this is what Hebrews thirteen seven says, and I, I, uh, and, I and I want to get to in, in a in a in a good way, you know, not in a correcting way, uh, like I think I'm something, and I have. I have like this superior knowledge. It's so interesting. You know, everything and everything that Christ gave Paul in the most amazing way was all of ours. And it's not any different. But he wrote, he sent, this individual sent me Hebrews thirteen seven. It says this, Remember them that have the rule over you. Now, that's not a good translation, is it? No. Because the, the proper word is guide. So those that have gifts, like pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4.11, they're guides that lead you to the headship of Christ in your own individuality. Christ is the authority, not the gift, not the gifted man, it's Christ. He said, but I want you to remember them. Remember them which, which have the rule, which guide you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Now you see where it says the word, who is the word of God in John 1.1? It's Christ, that's what he's teaching here. Holy Spirit's teaching us. Remember those that guided you to, G- to the Lord Jesus Christ, whose dependence, whose faith, whose absolute dependence continually follow, considering the end of their lifestyle, their absolute lifestyle. Now, when this was written, with, with the individual, I, was, and I thought it was so cute, because when you study this, in this context, these are the ones that God has taken home. He did use them in their life, but he took them home. And I'm like, I ain't dead yet. You <laughs> know, sometimes I feel like I am, I'll tell you that. But it should have been Hebrews 13, 17, and this is what I agree. It says, obey them that have the what? That are guides over you. Okay? They're not controlling you. They're not trying to control you. They're not trying to make you <laughs> their disciples. Obey them that have that are guides over you and submit yourself, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And I'm not gonna go into the original in that right now, the way that you know that that we could right now. But what what he's teaching here, what he's teaching here is, is, and the way that we had this taught, okay. And I'm laughing because I don't know anything like I know either. I mean, I need to, you know, like we came to the end of specific truths, right? We don't need to know them and be continuously taught. (laughs) Oh, yes, we do. But the way that that was taught was, was that when the believer would appear at the Bema seat, they would be the pastor with them, with Christ in this room. Okay, no, we all stand before him alone. Nobody else, because he was our only loving authority. <laughs> and, and the bema seat he's going to separate wasn't what that that wasn't of his love for us, and it's going to go away. And we're going to be yay! going to be no terror there in Second Corinthians five ten and eleven, because the bema seat does not have to do with bringing up sins that are already dealt with. Okay, it's about rewards. Yep, suffering of loss and and gain for rewards. In other words, everything that was done according to him who is grace and truth. And so there'll be no terror. But the way that that was taught was the believer was in this room with Jesus Christ, okay, and then Jesus Christ would, would look to the pastor and say, how were they here? And he would go, oh, they failed. Oh, they, they rejected me. Oh, they hurt me. None of that's going on, by the way. the <laughs> BMC. just want to make that clear. Okay, none of that. Okay, and then the pastor would groan because oh, they were going to lose it. It's not even what it was saying, it's the reverse. It's the reverse. Did the pastor fail? And if he did, it was unprofitable for them. He's groaning in his privacy <laughs> before the Lord. Let's take it very serious. So the word and, and gifts and the word and functioning in proper order is very, very serious. It's a very serious and a very sobering thing. Because that's how that ver- that's how it's taught. So I'm not dead yet. <laughs> don't remember me like that, please. Do you know something I don't know? <laughs> oh God. Let's all, let's all. So really, really what he's saying in Hebrews 13, 17 is. Continue to obey him as he's obeying in Christ, just like you. Isn't that great? You know, we all have the same authority. We don't always have it in the same experience of growth, but we all do have it. So, this is what he was saying. So, what he, that's what he was saying here, but none of these things move me, neither count I my my life dear unto myself. We're back in Acts 20, verse 24. That I might finish my course with joy. What he's saying is, oh boy, when I face Christ, I don't want there to be any, oh, oh Lord. I, I, I hurt your love for me, and I hurt them in that. Oh, I don't want that. Oh no, please Lord, no thank you. Nope with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord, to testify the gospel of what? The grace of God. Now, behold, I know that you you all, whom I have gone preaching the kingdom, the ruler, the right? The uh, the guiding, the, the, who, he who is the king. You know, if you've got a kingdom, you've got to have a king. How many kings do you have in, a, in one specific kingdom? You only have one. The kingdom here when it speaks of the kingdom of God, always has to do with his government on the earth. He's The, the, the difference between the kingdom of God, we've said before, the kingdom of God, is he's go anywhere in eternity. <laughs> he's the He is the king, the Lord, the supreme, sovereign over all authority. But on the earth, that's the kingdom of God. He's ruling us and reigning as king over us. But you'll see my face no more. Wherefore I take to you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all. For I have not shunned, I have not kept back, even though, uh uh-oh, I know if I preach a certain thing, boy, boom, I'm going to get it. I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm not trying to protect myself. That's what he's saying. I'm not going to, from preaching the truth and things that would come back. For I have not kept, back to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I want you to think about that with me. All the counsel of God. Now, take heed, therefore, unto who? Yourself. Yourself before Christ. Period. Right? And to all the flock. Now he's talking to leaders. To all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, those that watch. Not just preach the word, but in in the night seasons, you watch. You give yourself to prayer in Acts 6, verse 4. And you give yourself to prayer, and you continually watch. And you can't watch properly unless you give yourself over to him who's interceding and watching over them. That's why we're known as, if you have a gift of a pastor teacher, you are a under, (laughs) under shepherd. God forbid you leave that under. Then you're in yourself. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To what? Here is the greatest definition and manifestation of a pastor towards the flock. What will he do? He will feed the church of who? That's so why. Is it the pastor's flock? Are they his sheep? Is it his church? No the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. This is verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing will grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, so this is going to be those that are from without in the local assembly, trying to come in and disturb it and distract it. Here's verse 30. Also of your own self, selves, Will men arise right in a local assembly? Right in it. A local assembly will arise speaking perverse things. What's a perverse thing? Oh boy, we'll get into that in a different time. But that's speaking outside of a proper place, a proper growth and proper growth and grace and truth and freedom. You leave a place of freedom. And look what it says speaking perverse things. Listen, to draw away disciples after them. And a local assembly, look, therefore, man of God, therefore, what should you do? When you see these things happening, what should you do? Watch. Watch and remember that by the space of three years, he's t- taught them three years, Ephesians truth. Three years, I cease not to watch. Warn. You tell me, do you think you and I, if we are experiencing and functioning in the flesh, that we want a warning of truth? Can anybody tell us anything? Can anybody give us counsel? (laughs) Because because the enemy would convince us, any of us in the flesh, they don't know you. They don't know what you're going through. (laughs) You know, but God does, right? That's why, you know, you got to be under and you've got to watch. So it's very interesting. Right? Warn everyone night and day with tears. Tears. You may see tears publicly, but the majority of them you will miss because they're private. They're private. And you can't a man of God cannot watch privately about those that Christ loved, that he loves in Christ without tears. you just not going you just won't have it. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9, 1 was the weeping prophet. John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. He wept. And he wept over those that they were even in a desolate place. The whole nation of Israel. And you can see that as they rejected him in John 1, 11. You can see it crystal clear what he said to them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, how I loved you. And how I wanted to draw you to myself as a mother hen does her chicks. Keep them so close. But you wouldn't you wouldn't and that's in Matthew 23 verse 37 38 and 39 and he said you're going to your house is left less left, left desolate empty without me and sometimes we need tears sometimes folks need to see tears they do because it's a language maybe words weren't able to communicate you know there would be tears of identification and that's what he was doing here with tears he did it in 20, verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and testings. He tempted, no. you know, The enemy would tempt any any of us. He doesn't care what we know. He just wants to tempt us to destroy a proper experience. Which befell, be, befell me by the laying in wait of the Jews. Who were the Jews? Boy, they had some counsel. Mm-hmm. Oh, they did. They had the ability, they thought, to take the written word, okay, and counsel, and counsel. You ever see in the synoptics, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even in in the Gospel of John, how the counsel of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes, who all independently of each other, in their own independence of each other, in some form hated each other. But they all came together in their hatred for Christ. That was their counsel. You know what their counsel was? Eh? You know what it was? John 1840, not this man. He's not going to tell us what to do. Furthermore, in 1915 of John, crucify him. Get rid of him. Boy, if you can't get rid of him, you're going to get rid of yourself pretty quick. (laughs) In some form. And you know. You don't have to go. I mean, you can go away in your mind. And what do we go away to? Father, Lord, help us. So that's what he was saying here with tears, right? But that's what he said in 2019. By the lying in weight of the Jews, as long as they could have what they would call this oneness, which is foolishness, of, of the legalism of the flesh, right? All right? He was their guy. The minute... He turned. What did they start doing? They started to do the same thing. Now we got to murder this guy. Why? Because he's manifesting Christ. And Christ is against us in the legalism and the flesh and how we operate. Now we got to get rid of him. Oh, God, let's not get rid of each other. Let's just pray for one another and be so transparent in our relationships with each other. Because, you know... If we're not transparent, it's just because the enemy's brought distance in between us. Come on. Are we one in Christ? And we are. We are. Therefore, he says in Acts 20, verse 32, look what it says. And now, brethren, I commend you to who? God. And to the word of his grace. You see how it says that? It's not words. It's the word of his grace. Who is that? That's Christ the word of his grace, which is able, which is your ability for you to be built up and edified in him and to give, always grace, you an inheritance among all them that are truly sanctified. Sanctified, every one of us in Christ in our position in him, we are set apart from the old, literally, we are, and and into the new. And that's what it says here. The word, the word commenders is quite a thing, and I'm not going to get into it because I want to get into to quicken, get back to quicken, and we'll get into that at, at a different time. But here again, here again, we see the reality, the reality of being quickened because what are we being quickened in? A proper image, a proper identification. And so in Romans, we see this, and you follow, follow through Romans, and I'll just read it and then We'll, we'll get back into uh, the Hebrew uh, word of what it means to be quickened or quickened. And then in Romans, the eighth chapter, in the eleventh verse, uh, we're going to see what it means uh, to be quickened and what that means for us today in a language that doesn't change, by the way. That's why I, use, I love to use the language of the Bible. Okay, that's why I love to use it the language of the Bible. Certain words we use today, I mean, I don't even understand them. I don't have an understanding because I'm not supposed to think outside the Scriptures towards myself or anybody else. I would recommend a dictionary just for English words, the 1828 Dictionary. Because that guy, Noah Webster, was a polyglot. That guy had understanding and a depth of a multitude of languages, all kinds of languages, because that was his gift. And certain words that we use today, they're not even in there. And if they're not, do they have meaning, proper meaning? And they don't. They don't. Watch. This is Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's position. The rest of the verse, again, is not in the original. For the law of the Spirit of life, what is the law of the Spirit of life? Who we are in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? It's the flesh that's in the believer, in Romans 8, verse 9, that's in us, but we're not of. (laughs) We're of Christ, proper image. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. What's that mean? The legalism of the flesh, trying to take the word of God and make it be something, apart from Christ this person, his finished work, and apart from a proper guide, the Holy Spirit, through a gift that submitted to Christ in Ephesians 4.8. And this is what it says. For the law, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, did God give the law for man to make himself righteous? No. <laughs> is there anything right about the flesh? There's not a single thing right about it. God sending his own Son... Notice where it says it in the likeness of sinful flesh. And I don't like this in, here. In the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, again, he never had a sin nature based upon Numbers 19, verse 2, and, and scores of types. And, and you get into Leviticus, you can read even those first seven chapters and we'll get an understanding. That in the likeness of sinful flesh, he had a human nature, not a sin nature. And for sin, dear Lord, Imagine Trump, someone trying to understand this if they don't have the skill and, and by that comes from the grace and truth through a gift. For sin, it's really for a sin sacrifice. In other words, he never he never became those sins, but he certainly dealt with them. <laughs> for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Where do we find all our condemnation? Where do we feel condemnation? Any of us in the flesh? that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's where not after the flesh and after the spirit belongs. It doesn't belong in the first, because that's positional truth. But it can enter into the experience. That's experience in Romans 8, verse 4. For they that are after the flesh are constantly minding. They have a mind and a bent towards the things of the flesh. Okay? This is who I am as a Christian in my flesh, and you don't accept it. You're my enemy. You're against me. Okay. No, you're against yourself. That's what, that's what the proper preaching and teaching of the Word is, that, that God, through that vessel, is saying to you that God is against who you're not, and he's going to bring you into a place to agree with him. You're not that. That's not your personality. Your fallen personality, it's not. Okay, it's not. He's causing us in Ephesians 4 verse 15 to grow up. Grow up. And to, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I acted just like a child. This is who I am. And if you're not going to receive me, I'm going to act like a spoiled little brat. It's not who you are, it's not who I am. Why do we treat each other outside of who we are in Christ? Why is this suspicion? Why? Because they're not quickened. Haven't been quickened with reality. And now there's space in between. I'm telling you, everything about it is capacity. You can't have proper capacity without proper obedience. Oh boy, you're not resisting me. You're opposing yourself in 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. You're not opposing me. I'm a little vessel. You're a little, we're little vessels with each other. We may, desire, we may desire to have fellowship with each other. We really do. But can you force that? You can't force that. Can you force growth? You can't force growth either. Okay? It takes the Holy Spirit's force and authority of the love of Christ to cause it. Yes. So, in, in Romans 8, 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. This brings into the reality of Galatians 5, verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, under his government, and his guidance, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Because in Galatians 5, verse 24, They that are Christ have, past tense, already crucified the flesh and the lusts and affections thereof. We need to know what proper desire is even based upon that. Because proper desire has to do with proper image. There's no question about it. And proper identification. And again, Psalm 119, 125. Oh, God, quicken me according to your word. My soul, my self-conscious is going right back to those lust patterns that are in the, in the body. They're in the body. And if you love someone, if you, if you love them, what should you do? If there's true love, you should feed them what? Truth, who they are in Christ. Okay. And even when they reject it, should it stop? Okay. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Listen, verse 8, uh, verse, uh, 6 in chapter 8. For to be carnally minded, right? Can I ever be natural again? No, that's crucified. But can I, through the flesh, be carnal? Read 1 Corinthians the third chapter, read it. Read Hebrews the fifth chapter, verses 13 to 15, about carnality. I go right back into, you know, that pile that we vomited up? (laughs) We go right back to it again. And when we do, don't judge me, not. Not judging you. It's not who you are. You're participating in what you're not. Okay, it's not you. And again, here it is again. Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity against God. We'll get into these in depth. But enmity is strong, settled, unchanging feelings of hatred towards God. How about that? I think, you, you and I think we know our flesh. We think we know ourselves and what we think is a proper understanding of who we are right now. And will God give us grace to live there? Is that who we are? It's not, it just isn't. Again, we're dealing with capacity. We are, we're dealing with capacity. And, and when I say we, we are all being dealt with all of us in our capacity, but they're not the same by any stretch or by any means. And what what even, even doesn't allow us to receive the grace and go on in a proper image and capacity is because of disobedience, and that's no disobedience, right? For any of us, right? In James four, verse 17, right? Because the carnal mind is enmity, strong, settled, I'm changing feelings of hatred against God. That's the flesh. For it is not subject to the law of God. What's the law of God? Romans 8, 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already made me free from the law of sin and death. That's my position. But is my position, is it, is it am I functioning in my experience and growth with who I am in Christ in my position? No, teaching comes in. I can either resist it They don't understand me. They don't know. Okay. (laughs) You think so? (laughs) And uh, again, for it is not subject to the law of God. Listen, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, and this is, in the context is they are believers in this chapter. There is absolutely not a question about it. But they that are in the flesh cannot what? Please God. There's the frustration there's the irritation there's the things that you know you know back again in Romans the 7th chapter Romans the 7th chapter was uh, verse 13 in Romans 7 was that which is good made death unto me God forbid but sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good <laughs> you think that could be the preaching of the truth Th- and thinking it's against me that sin, by the commandment, might be exceedingly, what? Exceeding sinful. What is he teaching? It's not what you're doing that's evil. It's your sin nature that's evil. Period. Genesis 6, 5. Genesis 8, verse 21. But the evil that we may be experiencing and functioning in is not how God sees us. It is not who we are. <sighs> Boy, am I glad for that personally? So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They don't experience the pleasure of a proper image that they've been made in Christ. That's what Jesus was saying in John 8:29 and Romans 15:3. I always do those things that please him. Who's the only one that pleased him? The only one that ever fulfilled his will. In John 4, verse 34. And he did that on Calvary. And on Calvary in John 19:30, he finished the work, which means he separated me in Galatians 6, verse 14. He he cru- you know this? He crucified the world, everything about the world, everything, everything about the world, he crucified it to the believer. And then he crucified them. That's what it says. And God forbids that we glory in either. What? It's love that forbids it. It's the authority of a depth of love for us, for all of us, each and every single one of us. But look at verse 9. Here's our reality. But you are not in the flesh. The flesh may be in you, but you're not in it. But in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. How do we know that the Spirit of God dwells in us? How do we know that? And this is why we have to give the Scriptures. And this is why, by the grace of God, as he brings them back to me, from my understanding, instantaneously, I'll share them with you. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Wherefore, I give you to understand, I want this to be your understanding, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus, what? Anathema, accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. He's received Christ. That's why when Paul said, and and when he met Saul, who was Saul at the time, when he met Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts the ninth chapter, in those first six verses, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? It's the first time you ever spoke, it's the first time you ever received Christ. The promise that Jesus said in in John 14, 16, I'm going to give you another comforter. He's dwelling with you now in me, but when I get crucified, I'm going to go up and I'm going to send down the Holy Spirit and he's going to dwell in you and form you as the church in local areas. And that's what he was saying. So as we wrap this up this morning, Romans 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh. Stop knowing yourself after the flesh. It's not who you are. This is who I am. No, it's not. It's not who you are. It's not who I am. Yes. Thank you, Lord. But in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is what? He's none of his. When it says he's none of his, you know what that means? We're not our own. You and I, in the flesh, we may think we have certain rights. He crucified the old. He crucified all the rights of the flesh. Every single one of them. He crucified it. We're not our own. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We're not our own. We, We were bought with a price. We couldn't afford it. We're bought with a price, meaning we are owned by him. That's sanctification, positional and progressive in growth, but it's also based upon justification, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. And where's all the guilt and condemnation that we will experience? In the flesh that we're not of. Oh, boy. I love this. That's why I'm, I'm doing this right now. I love this spell for me in Christ. And I, and I certainly love it for everyone deeply. But you're not in the flesh, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, or in him. Now, and if any man have not the Spirit of, of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, positionally, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is what? Life because of righteousness. But, and here's the verse we are really want to get to. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, if and he does, right? Based upon 1 Corinthians 12, 3. If and he does, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also, what? Quicken. Oh, there's the word. Quicken your mortal bodies, what? By, or really, the original says, because of his spirit that dwells in you. Because of that therefore, brethren, family members in the local assembly that are part of the universal body of Christ and the universal body of Christ is not just those that are on the earth there's a bunch in heaven right now but still one the difference being they've been delivered even from the presence of sin we're all delivered from the power of sin in 1 John 2, 1 and 2 no question about it but they're delivered from the presence of sin not us not yet, you know why? got a lot of things to learn who we are in Christ and who we're not. Oh, Lord. But if Christ be in you, right? but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. It's not who you are. To live after the flesh, to experience it, to struggle in it, to be condemned, to have all these random thoughts. And thinking, in, even thinking in the flesh when the word is coming. And now it's against me and I rebel and I want to function in disobedience. Oh Lord, help us all, right? Help us, Father. And he will through humility to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, in other words, you experience it, you will experience what? Death, separation from God. But separated from that, if you through who? The Spirit who's our guide. We all have that. My I um, your authority? Are you my authority? Holy Spirit's our guide, 1 John 2, 20 and 27. He's leading us into who, are, who is our only head. And our only authority, it's Christ. Now, he's given certain men the gift to preach and teach the authoritative Word of God, which is Christ, to lead us through the Holy Spirit. And when a man in a gift functions, and he's an under-shepherd, and he's connected to the head, the Holy Spirit will use that to teach. But he's got to face a lot of different things, too, not only for himself, but what comes at him. That's why he said, you know what? What? I made this determination. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. I don't care how you treat me, I don't care what you do. I'm going to know you after Christ. That's what he said. And that's why he said, I don't count my own life dear to myself. (laughs) Oh, you offended me. So, did it touch who you were in Christ? Oh, God help us, right? So, as we wrap this up this morning, quicken. In the Old Covenant, that word quicken is kaya. Some would say chaya, okay? C-H-A-Y-A-H. It is a literal primitive root. You know what it means? To live. To live. Literally or figuratively, it's always causative. God does the causing of the life that we have. He does. Not legalism, not flesh, not left up to us. It's causative. It's in the causative stem in the Hebrew, and sometime in the future we'll get into that because it'll help us to understand, even when we read certain portions of the Old Covenant, what they mean in types. Uh, it's the causative, it means to revive. He's reviving us again as the church in Ephesians 4.27. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. right? And look at what it means to nourish. To nourish. How does God nourish us? Could we be nourished properly if he didn't lovingly chasten us? We wouldn't be nourished properly. Nourish, to nourish up, right? Isn't it incredible when we think about it? Ah, oh, boy. To recover. He's constantly recovering us from a bad image, from a lie, and bringing us into proper image, thereby we have fellowship. Because can two walk together except they be agreed? Name is three, three, we can't. So this is, again... It means to save, to deliver, and as a result, to be whole. I, is everything about who I am in Christ, brand new in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, in my proper image? That's position, is working it into our experience through what? Receiving the truth, and instantly, obeying it. Now, do we all do that instantly? No, but we're growing, babes, young men, spiritual dads. So this literally means to live in all these places. In Psalm uh, 71, verse 20, we said. I believe it's Psalm 80, uh, verse 18. And we said it in Psalm 119, verse 25. It's again in Psalm 119, uh, 37 and 40. And in Psalm 88, quicken, 107. And a bunch of other places that would quicken. Kaya, yeah, (laughs) proper image, and it's always in the intensive form, and it's a verb, and what does a verb do, it expresses action, the action of his love, (laughs) he's created us in our position, brand new, and now he's bringing it into our experience. To, to bring us back to, so that we can recover and experience the life that he sees us in in Christ. It means having life. The verb, which is the action of his love, always connotes, conno, this is your life. This is who you are. This is who you're not. Right? And it means to bring to life. Do you, you remember when, you know, when he created man? He was just, a, form, just a, a, a formless thing that he formed out of the ground. And not until he breathed into him did he become a living soul, Genesis 2-7. Do you notice what he did when Jesus rose from the dead? He went into the upper room in John the 20th chapter. And by the time you get to verse 22, you know, they were all fearful. They were fearful all in the upper room. They were all together and they were counseling each other based upon what? Their fear. (laughs) How they perceived things how they perceived that all these things were against them, just like Jacob in Genesis 42, verse 36. But the reality was Jesus penetrated, went right through. He came right in. And then he breathed onto them a brand new life. A brand new life in John 20, 22, 23. He breathed on them a whole brand new life. That's who we are. That's image. That's our brand new life. That's who we are. And thank God for that. And I'm thankful with you. But this morning, no question about that. Thank you, Lord. And so to cause to live, to live is more than physical existence. And boy, don't tell, don't tell that to the flesh, right? To live is far more than physical existence, right? Oh boy, what does it mean in Deuteronomy 30, verse 16, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might, your strength? What does that mean? And how does that happen? It's our obedience, it's his love returned. That's all. When I obey, I know that I love him. I don't know it any other way. I don't experience his love for me outside of disobedience because it's not returning his love. And even that is why all things work together for the good. All things. I don't care what they are. Romans eight twenty eight. I don't care what they are, where we are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And he's constantly quickening us through the word to bring us to a place to return to proper identity, proper image, which is new life. It is a love life. It's a life filled with love. In light, and he just wants to continue, and he's going to. The moment we receive Christ, he started not only addition, right? But in growth, multiplication. (laughs) That's Ephesians 3.19. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. That's individual. That goes into Revelations 2 and verse 17. So as we close this morning, that word quicken is a beautiful word here, and we're going to get into it in detail. Maybe throughout the week, as God would lead us. But we are quickened. We are made alive. We've been brought out of a place of death, which is separation and distance, from God, distance from a proper position, a proper image, a proper identity. And He's constantly doing that. He's not changing. He's not doing that. He's not changing it. Do you ever pray that? Oh, Lord, please change this area in my life. No. He's causing us through growth, through obedience, through His love return, and an experiential reality that we're already dead to those things. And it's not who we are. It's not. And thank you, Lord, for that truth this morning. Just how much you love us. How much you are so for us. You can't. And you are so for your son. And you are so for us in your son with the same life that that son is, each of us in our own individuality. And God, we're so thankful for that reality. Thank you that now that love that you love us with. And you love us till the end in John 13, 1, until we see you in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face. And he and loving him, he loved them to, to, the, to their end, which was an eternal, continual, beautiful beginning. Father, we just thank you for that. And thank you that your command now, because you gave us the means, the grace, and the truth and the ability through through receiving you and obeying your love that you commanded us in John 13, 34, and 35. You know, see the way I loved you? Keep growing in the way that you should love others, especially those of your own household. In Galatians 6, 6. So Father, thank you and praise you this morning and bless each and every one of us here deeply and those that hear this in the depth of the love of who they are in a proper image in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.